As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome to Let's Just Talk, featuring Katherine Riker. Brought to you by Lawrence Allen, Global Executive Search Professional, author of The Tree of Liberty, Apteca Naturel, Backwell Syllable Backholder, Dan Perkins, Registered Investment Advisor, and author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Series, Dr. James Butler, DDS, Gravity First Mattress, iMarketing, Magic Nutrition, Swan Montgomery, Top Musician, Engineer, and Performer, with solo album, Oghound. An ultimate air show. Now, here's Catherine with Let's Just Talk on W4CY. Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Raker, and our guest is Gail McGowan. In Faith and in Doubt is his new book, How Religious Believers and Nonbelievers Can Create Strong Marriages and Loving Families. And uh, in his new book, In Faith and Doubt, this is such an important thing. McGowan explores the unions of partners who believe in God, whether Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, Mormon, Hindu, or Buddhist, and those who don't, whether agnostic or atheist. He also shares insights and strategies to help secular religious couples overcome obstacles and negotiate conflicts with honest communication and respect for each other's worldwide worldview. World world, whatever, world deal. Uh, we want to welcome him to our show, and thank you for coming and being on board with us today for our show today. Uh, Dale, how are you? Uh, just fine. Thanks very much for the invitation. You're welcome. You know, um, you were a self-identified atheist from age 13. You married a believing Baptist at age 28, 23 years ago. Why did it take you so long to recognize the need for a book devoted to the challenges of a secular religious mixed marriage? Uh, it actually didn't take that long to realize that it was needed, uh, but I had, uh, uh, I, I had the recognition and then had other things going on, other projects. I was at a, in a different career at that time, teaching at the college level. Um, so it really wasn't until years later when I'd heard from so many other people that they needed this book, that they were looking for a resource, that I began to explore the possibility of uh, researching it and writing it. Hi, this is Rick Pollock with Ultimate Air Shuttle, where we offer so much more than just a great jet service. We are always striving to change our customer experience, not just in the air, but on the ground once you land. Did you know Ultimate Air Shuttle can arrange your rental car, cab, or executive transportation into the city, all in one phone call before your flight even begins? We do. See how easy and luxurious air travel is with Ultimate Air Shuttle to New York, Chicago, and Charlotte. Experience it all at UltimateAirShuttle.com. Ultimate Air Shuttle flights are public charters sold and operated by Ultimate Jet Charters, LLC, as direct air carrier. 
Hi, I'm Katherine Raker, and I love to read. If you can't wait to get your hands on the next great book, let me tell you about Tree of Liberty by Lawrence Allen. His 30-year sweeping epic is a global thrill ride from start to finish. This highly charged political saga made me take a hard look at where we are as a nation. It is a wake-up call for just how close we are to losing our rights, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to the growing tyranny that has become Washington, D.C. Tree of Liberty may anger you. Tree of Liberty may inspire you. For sure, Tree of Liberty will make you take a closer look at where America is today. Read Tree of Liberty and join the movement to resurrect the America we love. For more information, go to www.treeoflibertyusa.com. Catherine is back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk on W4CY. We were talking with Dale McGowan, the author of In Faith and In Doubt, about why it took him so long um, to see that there was a need to for a book devoted to the challenges of the secular, religious, and mixed marriage. And you were saying, Dale? Uh, yeah, I was saying that it actually didn't take this long for me to recognize the need. Um, I, I've just... Uh, I was in a different place in my own career, and I was encountering uh, things in my own marriage that, you know, made me go looking for resources, and I realized they weren't there. But it wasn't until years later that I had heard from a number of other people in the same kind of mixed marriage about the need for resources, and I was looking for a project, and the timing was right. So I've actually recognized the need for quite some time, but only now did the stars align for it. Okay, and in your book, In Faith and Doubt, you start with a big picture on believers, non-believers, and the changing state of marriage in America. Would you share a few facts that divide conventional assumptions and pervasive stereotypes? Uh, yeah, one of the things, one of the reasons that people are surprised when they hear about uh, a non-believer and a believer in a marriage is that we carry <clears throat> assumptions about what each of those mean. Uh, we have a fairly stereotyped picture of what it means to be an atheist or what it means to be a religious believer. We picture uh, the extremes trying to uh, work out a marriage. And most people are actually in a much uh, different place. They're not necessarily uh, defined by their labels in the same way. They are uh, sort of meeting in the, uh, the middle of shared values, even though their beliefs differ, their actual beliefs about what's true uh, about the universe. Uh, so what's happened in, in recent generations is that Americans in particular have been uh, mixing socially and professionally much more than was ever the case before. Uh, the average American now moves uh, over 11 times on average in a lifetime, and those uh, moves and professional uh, mixing and so on cause us to intersect with people of all different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different religions, and so on. So it's the people that we're actually meeting are uh, across a wider spe spectrum. That was not the case in, for example, the middle of the 20th century. People typically moved two or three times in their lives, and they were born into and raised in neighborhoods that frequently had the same religious perspective. So uh, a big part of uh, the difference is that that has moderated us, uh, moderated most people in their views and in their tolerance for difference, and this makes it possible to have these religious mixes. What are some of the red flags that a mixed marriage will be a difficult one? Well, really one of the biggest ones is a marriage that didn't begin mixed. Um, if a marriage begins and both partners are religious or both partners are non-religious and then one changes, that can frequently be a, um, a stressor in the marriage. Uh, in the survey that I did of about 1,000 people in these marriages, that was one of the biggest red flags for conflict because there's a feeling that the assumption on which the marriage was built has been changed, it's been betrayed, and that can frequently bring a lot of tension into the relationship. Now, if the couple has other strengths and they're able to work through that, they can frequently recognize that their values haven't changed, just their beliefs, just the belief framework. But that's definitely one of the uh, red flags. Uh, another one is if both partners identify intensely with their worldview. So if um, someone's atheism is a really big and central part of uh, his or her identity, 
and a partner's religious identity is a big part of his or her personal identity, that can frequently lead to problems. Uh, but uh, if one or both are more moderate in their identification, then it's, uh, it's a lot easier to, uh, uh, to work that out. So those are a couple of the examples. Um, something else that will uh, be a red flag is that there are other stressors in the relationship. So for example, if they uh, don't communicate well, if there's a history of divorce in the family, if there's you know, a problem with alcohol or drugs, if they were particularly young when they got married. So if those other stressors are present, the religious difference can then exacerbate those. It can actually make it more difficult to uh, work through them. So those are just uh, examples of a number of the red flags that make these marriages more difficult. That's not to say they won't work out, but it makes it a little more challenging to work out. You know, there's the one question that I want to ask you, and that is, you know, say, for instance, you're a Catholic, and in the Catholic religion, we actually raise our children Catholic. If you sit down with your person that is an atheist or agnostic prior to that marriage, they usually have to go through, before they get married, we, we go through a, um, actually, a, not a training period, but, you know, we have a a period where our, in our religion, if you're getting married Catholic, right, you have to go through the pre-Cana uh, situations. Do you see that being a problem? Uh, it can be if, um, uh, if the couple chooses to go that route. But it's actually, that is only required if you want your marriage to be officially recognized by the church. Uh, it's Why, actually can, possible... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why wouldn't you? Many Catholics are married and have their, uh, their marriages recognized by the state but not by the church. They make that choice, and uh, right. often for this reason. So if you are in a situation where uh, you want the church to recognize the marriage, then frequently the non-religious partner will say, that's fine, I'm, I'm fine to go along with that, and they'll go through that process. But many of the couples that I talk to who have one Catholic partner have chosen instead to say, uh, we'd like to be married, we don't need it to have the official imprimatur of the Catholic Church. We just want it to be a legal marriage, and so they sometimes go that route. So those are a couple of the possibilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if the other person is, um, and, and the other thing is a lot of times people will want one party if the other party doesn't believe is an atheist or agnostic, and the person says, I really want the kids to have a religious background or, you know, have them go through that, do you see a problem with that with the agnostic or the atheist? It depends on the agnostic or atheist. If you have someone who is, there's a a more specific term called anti-theist. If you have one who defines as an anti-theist, that's someone who thinks that all religion is inherently bad and to be opposed. Most people assume that all atheists are anti-theists, and it's not true. Um, I was not an anti-theist, for example. Um, so when my children were young, one of the things I wanted them to have was a religious um, education. I wanted them to have literacy in religion so that they could make their own choices in it. You know, you can't cut them off from it and then expect them to make an informed choice. So when my kids were young, they went to a Lutheran preschool. Uh, part of the time when they were in elementary school, we attended church. You know, so they had that background. I was an atheist the entire time, but I actually wanted them to have that exposure. So a lot of people assume that that's not going to be the case. They assume that the non-religious partner is going to be adamant about avoiding that, and it's really not true. There are many people in that situation who actually seek that out, and I was one of them. At 13, how could you tell you're an atheist? Well, at 13, it was my opinion. Uh, just like it's my opinion now. Um, I had uh, been interested in the uh, uh, issues uh, for, uh, even at that point, I'd been uh, reading, I'd been reading the Bible, I'd been thinking about it, I'd been talking to people at church, talking to people outside of church, and I had come to the opinion that God doesn't exist. And then and now, I have always been open to disconfirmation of that. But that was my opinion, just like someone at age 13 could be of the opinion that God does exist. There's really no difference there. You can, uh, you can at that age, that's a very curious age, a very exploratory age. And I think it's terrific for a, um, for a child to say, hey, I've thought about this a lot, and here's where I am now. I'm not setting my feet in cement. I don't think that's ever a good idea. 
but here's where I am now, and I'm going to continue to explore, and that's what I did. Because, because you could change, you could change, or anybody could change over the years, and is that true or not? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. It's actually much more common to change than not. Than not, okay. Yeah. All right, so my next question is, um, what practices can help mixed belief couples identify and deal with potential conflict before they escalate into ongoing sources of tension and pain? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, wh what they want to do from the very beginning and what they typically do is communicate very clearly and openly about these issues. And one of the things that there's been some very interesting research about this, uh, mixed belief couples frequently have a greater strength in interpersonal communication, uh, in uh, something called dyadic consensus, which is the ability to uh, come to agreement on things that are important to the relationship. And uh, they found that couples who identify as mixed belief of whatever kind frequently have a stronger dyadic consensus score than couples who share the same belief. And if you think about it, it makes sense uh, because they have had to confront issues from the beginning with this difference. And so they tend to develop, uh, if the relationship endures, they tend to develop the ability to confront issues and to work them through. Uh, so frequently these are couples that, that move into the rest of the challenges of uh, the relationship with a particular strength. So the single best answer to your question is talking early and often about the things that are different between them and deciding for each partner, what are your negotiables and what are your non-negotiables? Like for me, going to church was negotiable. I was perfectly willing to go with my wife to church for years uh, because that's something she wanted. Um, to, uh, raising the children with a set identity was non-negotiable for me. I didn't want that to happen. Well, fortunately, she was fine with that. That was entirely negotiable. So we sat down early on and worked things out and determined that uh, we were on the same page with almost everything. And there were some other things that, we, that one or the other of us was willing to bend on. So if couples can do that early on, really be intentional about it and don't leave things unspoken, then they can, uh, they can typically power through these uh, issues. Um, I think on that note, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back on Catherine Raker's Let's Just Talk. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Catherine Raker on W4CY. Hi, this is Katherine Raker, and you know, I have so many sleepless nights until I got a Gravity First Elevated Sleep System mattress. You know, it used to keep me up at night because I have acid reflux. I had a heartburn. But you know, people that have reflux with pregnancy, GERD, snoring, sinus congestion, cold and flu symptoms need a good night's sleep. So that's why the Gravity First Elevated Sleep System mattress helps you do that. Gravity First utilizes simple gravity to prevent you from being robbed of your valuable sleep. The inflatable, multi-patented design of Gravity First fits on top of any mattress or box springs and comes in four sizes, twin, full, queen, and king. And because Gravity First is inflatable, you can take it when you travel. It also allows you to sleep in any normal position, unlike short wedges or mountains of pillows. Gravity First elevates your sleep experience to a whole new level of comfort and keeps your head elevated throughout the night. Gravity First is the number one doctor-recommended lifestyle change for acid, reflux, heartburn, and GERD. It's also effective, used for many other health issues like allergies, snoring, sinus congestion, and pregnancy. So do what I do and go out there and get that Gravity First mattress. You'll have such a wonderful experience. Go to their website at www.gravityfirst.com. iMarketing.com provides easily editable websites to small business owners. And if they don't want to make the changes to the site themselves, they can simply email the changes to iMarketing.com and they'll take care of it at no additional cost. Websites cost only $795, and hosting, which includes all maintenance for the website, is only $39.95 a month. iMarketing.com is also a Google-certified partner, which means you'll get your website listed on over 1,000 search engines across the Internet very quickly. iMarketing.com works with Google Daily to create campaigns and optimize them. Let iMarketing.com help you get your share of the web by calling 513-942-7869 or you can email iMarketing.com at sales at i-mktg.com today. 
Hi, this is Rick Pollock with Ultimate Air Shuttle, where we offer so much more than just a great jet service. We are always striving to change our customer experience, not just in the air, but on the ground once you land. Did you know Ultimate Air Shuttle can arrange your rental car, cab, or executive transportation into the city all in one phone call before your flight even begins? We do. See how easy and luxurious air travel is with Ultimate Air Shuttle to New York, Chicago, and Charlotte. Experience it all at UltimateAirShuttle.com. Ultimate Air Shuttle flights are public charters sold and operated by Ultimate Jet Charters LLC as direct air carrier. Catherine is back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk on W4CY. We are back, and we're back with Gail McGowan, author of In Faith and In Doubt. Why In Faith and In Doubt is a title? Uh, Well, the idea was a play on In Sickness and In Health, In Faith and In Doubt. So the implication is that uh, regardless of these variables in our relationship, regardless of uh, the changes and the, uh, the differences, uh, we are committing to each other and we will, uh, uh, we will endure. Now, here's my question. You've got children, right? Yes. Now, my question is, is that your wife is a Baptist. Am I correct? Uh, my wife does not identify as a Baptist anymore. She did for the first 13 years of our marriage. So would you, can I ask this question? Is she agnostic now? Uh, she is, um, I think she'd identify herself as an agnostic humanist at this point. She began uh, asking herself, asking questions and doing some reading on her own about eight years ago and uh, decided that she no longer identified as a religious believer. So actually... She came to your side. Am I correct? Uh, well, uh, I don't think of it as sides. Uh, no, but, not sides. Uh, what I'm saying is that you're a couple today that is on the same plane. Am I correct? Right. We are in a we are in agreement on religious questions today. That's correct. Okay. So, uh, my question is: What about everybody else that you're writing about? How? How long have a lot of other people been married and stayed in that type of situation? Because I am having a hard time, and I told you this during the break, um, understand, you know, I understand it, okay? But the most successful marriages that I know, the other person converts to that other person's kind of belief, or they're on the same plane with them, and because it makes the marriage easier, Okay? Um, my, I think my, I think it's a hard concept to understand. Okay, yeah. so that's the reason why I have the question: How can a marriage? We have so there are so many other trials and tribulations in a marriage, from finance to whatever. Um, it's you know, if I didn't have, I mean, you have your belief and I have mine. If I didn't have that to go to every week or whatever. I mean, that I look forward to, okay? Right, So, sure. in, a, in a socialization, do you go somewhere as a non-believer to socialize with people of your own, um, of your own um, belief? Uh, yes, actually. I have uh, gone to everything from Unitarian Universalist fellowships, which consists mostly of uh, humanists, uh-huh. Uh, to humanist organizations. Um, I'm uh, actually the executive director of the Humanist Foundation, and uh-huh. that staff is a, part of my, uh, is a part of my community. So there are lots of ways in which I actually intersect with people of my own worldview, but I also intersect with people who share other things with me. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a community built around belief. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It helps. It does help, let's face it. Um, my question is, what if one of your children became a nun or a priest? How would you react to that? Oh, I, my feeling is that my children's autonomy, their, their choices are their own. And I worked at a Catholic college for 15 years. I actually taught on the faculty of a Catholic college. And mm-hmm. the sisters, they were the sisters of St. Joseph, mm-hmm. were among the most decent, socially responsible, justice-oriented people I have ever known. Mm-hmm. And if my daughter chose to enter that life, and became similar to the the sisters that I knew at that college, I'd be very, very proud of her. So the assumptions, uh, it's sometimes uh, a common assumption that 
if someone is an atheist, they automatically hold all religion in contempt, and it can take a little while to shake that loose. But I consider there to be negative expressions and positive expressions, and I think my kids are very likely to pursue a positive expression if they do that, and I would be entirely fine with that. See, that's the problem, because some of the atheists that we see out there have done stuff that, and, and I mean it can be in any religion, okay, but have really put a label, unfortunately, on atheists. And, you know, one of the main persons was, is now passed away, but she wanted everybody to not be able to do certain things, and that, you know, a lot of people felt really bad about that, Okay. So I right. think that there, like you said, there are labels on agnostics and atheists that really don't need to be there, right? Well, exactly, and I think uh, you're exactly right, and um, the same is true of religious people. If someone looks at a religious person and thinks that uh, that person is automatically the same as Pat Robertson, or automatically the same as the, the uh, minister in Florida who burned the Koran, uh, you know, th- that uh-huh. sort of thing. Uh, that would, that's inappropriate. That's, but that's... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we do, we have these very um, uh, cartoonish assumptions about each other that I think we all carry and it's, it's uh, reinforced by stories because you'll tend to hear about an atheist when they're angry about something on the news. And so that's reinforced, the, the sort of idea of the angry atheist and the intolerance. Uh, same thing for religion. You tend to hear about religion when someone is uh, doing something newsworthy, which is often you know, bad. It's often something that uh, is a scandal of some sort. So what we have to do, and what these marriages actually help us do, is to get around those stereotypes. I understood when I knew that I was married to a church-going, praying, believing Southern Baptist and loved her unconditionally, and that, that did not affect my uh, affection for my wife. That helped me to see religious people in a different way, and that's one of the most powerful things that I think these mixes can do. Um, for engaged couples, would you share a few ideas for planning a wedding ceremony with a meaningful mix of religious and secular elements, and even that Catholic marriage? You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Riker on W4CY. There is something ominous on the horizon which will affect the whole world. In the recently published book, Brotherhood of the Red Nile, author Dan Perkins takes you on an oh-my-gosh ride that will take your breath away because you'll swear it isn't true while you hope and pray it never happens. But know in your heart, it might be happening now. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile is book one in this incredible trilogy that's been pulled from the headlines while being explored by the author. Can it be true? Free some time on your schedule because once you begin reading, you won't be able to put it down. The Brotherhood of the Red Nile is available at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or Smashwords.com. Read a teaser at Dan Perkins at Sanibel.com. Author Dan Perkins is a noted author, speaker, and registered investment advisor with more than 40 years' experience in the business world. 
He's available for speaking engagements as well. To contact him or to find out more about his fantastic new book, go to Dan Perkins at sanibel.com. It's harvest time, and I don't know what I would do without my Bagwell. Just last night, I was preparing some fresh tomatoes to go into my freezer. Bagwell makes it easy to do a job, which could be a total mess in my kitchen. But the Bagwell sealable bag holder's job doesn't end in the kitchen. I take it into the garden when I'm gathering the last of my beans, onions, and small tomatoes right off the vine. The unique fold-up feature and sturdy form allows me to sit it anywhere and drop the produce in, ready to store until use. I can't imagine my kitchen without my Bagwell sealable bag holder. And once you get yours, neither will you. Visit Bagwell.com to get one for yourself. The Bagwell sealable bag holders are also available at Jungle Gym stores in Anderson and in Fairfield. Hi, this is Katherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. I'm the spokesperson for Apteca Naturel Products, and they have a brand new product that I'm so excited about. It is unique. It's all natural. It's called Cognizant Natural. It's an advanced memory support dietary supplement containing the remarkable Snapsa. Snapsa has been clinically shown to speed learning, enhance your memory, and improve mental performance naturally and safely. Cognizant Natural Advanced Memory Support Dietary Supplement is vegetarian and contains no GMOs. So go out and get Cognizant Natural. It really will help you. Go to their website at www.aptecanaturel.com and get it. It's wonderful. I did, and I know you'll love it too. Catherine is back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk on W4CY. We're back with Dale McGowan and his new book, In Faith and in Doubt, How Religious Believers and Non-Believers Can Create Strong Marriages and Loving Families. And prior to this, we were talking about engaged couples, and would Dale share a few ideas for planning a wedding ceremony with a meaningful mix of religious and secular elements? And what I said to him was, and what you don't know about me, Dale, is that I was married outside of the church first because I needed to get an annulment. So then I got married and had my my uh, my union blessed in a ceremony. So that does happen. Now my question is in between this, how would you feel if you if you were married to me and I decided after that regular ceremony with the state that I wanted to really get married in my church, or have it blessed? Uh, well, my uh, as I was at the time I got married, that wouldn't have bothered me in the least. Um, that was just something that uh, my wife, uh, as an example, what I was saying before we uh, got cut off, uh, her religion was a very important part of her identity uh, when we got married, and so we got married in a church with a minister, uh, you know, the full, uh, um, fully religious ceremony. No one would have known that... Uh, that I was an atheist in that setting, and that was fine with me. Um, so in that situation, I, uh, I probably would have as well. At this point in my life, my guess is that uh, um, I wouldn't necessarily be as comfortable with it, and we'd have to talk about um, whether, we, uh, whether I would be comfortable with that or not. Um, so it just depends on where someone is. Like you said, people change over time mm-hmm. and uh, go up and down in the intensity of their uh, identity with religion or non-religion. And um, couples simply have to work it out as one of the many, many variables uh, that exist in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what advice would you offer? Oh, so we're still on the engaged couple. Yeah, what right. What would be a meaningful mix? What would be a meaningful mix for that person? A meaningful mix, a meaningful mix would be um, anything from, uh, you know, there's a great deal of religious music and, and religious readings and poetry that you can include in a... Uh, uh, in a ceremony that don't necessarily say this couple is now uh, joined in the sight of God. That might be something the non-religious person uh, doesn't want to have reinforced in the ceremony. So, but you can have plenty of religious um, uh, verses and music and so on. First Corinthians, Paul's uh, marvelous, uh, you know, unbeatable uh, uh, passage from First Corinthians. The reason it appears in virtually every wedding, regardless of the uh, Identi- uh, whether it's a religious or non-religious wedding, is that it is an unparalleled ode to love. Love is patient, love is kind, and so on. Uh, so that was in our wedding, and I think if I were to mar- get married today, 
if I were to marry an atheist today, I think I would still have um, that passage from First Corinthians. In so the you, wouldn't so want, you wouldn't want God mentioned in your ceremony? Is that what you're telling me? No, that's not what I said, actually. Um, what I said is um, that there are certain things that specifically say uh, that they would ask me to be dishonest. They would have to say that I'm a believer, that they would have to say that I am joining myself to Christ. That's, that would be dishonest, and I don't want to be dishonest. So there are other but religious that other person could say what she felt like saying. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, sure. So what you do is you work it out between the partners, but you can also find these common ground passages, like the passage from 1 Corinthians, which is a religious passage from the Bible, but something that I'm utterly comfortable with, because it doesn't, it doesn't make a claim that I would have to, uh, um, you know, beyond the importance of love. That's something that can be present uh, from a religious or non-religious source, and I'm perfectly comfortable with it. Okay, now we're talking about, now we got married. What advice would you offer about to handle the intolerance or pressure to convert or deconvert from extended family members? members? Right. Uh, this is something that um, uh, is very difficult. Um, if you have a uh, situation where there's pressure in either direction, uh, the ideal thing is for the couple to come to agreement and to present basically a united uh, um, pair uh, in saying it, it's really not okay to pressure an individual. This is something I married this person knowing she was religious, knowing this was an important part of her. To accept me is to accept her uh, in the family. And it's not acceptable to me as your son, if I were talking to my parents, for example. It's not acceptable to me as your son for you to place this pressure on her. Uh, because of her identity. Um, it's just a part of being respectful to a married couple. Um, so it, the very first thing in that situation is for the couple to come to agreement. Mm -hmm. For many couples, differences in belief aren't a major issue until they have kids. What are some successful approaches to raising children with an understanding of religion and autonomy to make their own belief choices? Especially... But your children were going to Christian teachings, so they didn't deal with it until they were older, am I correct? Uh, well, they were uh, addressing the questions from the very beginning um, in terms of uh, uh, faith and doubt. Uh, so right from the beginning, they were um, hearing the stories, hearing the opinions of people who um, uh, had different opinions on it. They heard from mom and dad. And then we were in agreement, my wife and I, right from the beginning, that we both wanted them to make up their own minds. We both wanted them to have that autonomy. And that's what makes these, uh, these couples work. The individuals, the partners, can have their own religious identities and certainly should, but they really ought to come to agreement that they want their kids to explore ideas freely and uh, to make sure the kids know that they're... Uh, they will be loved unconditionally, regardless of uh, the choices that they make. So, yes, my kids confronted um, their own questions. They encountered religious ideas early on. They were always given the freedom to ask open questions about it, and my wife was 100% in agreement with that, uh, with that approach. Okay. Uh, are any – now, I'm just asking you this so you don't have to answer it, but are any of your children going to any Christian – organization today, or they all become agnostic? Uh, they are actually, uh, they change hats all the time. Uh, they explore these questions, and there are times when they have said, I'm a believer. There are times when they've said, I'm a non-believer. Uh, one of my kids is involved in the YMCA uh, right now. She just went on a service trip um, overseas, and you know that there's a, um, there's a strong religious component in that, and I'm perfectly comfortable with it. Um, so uh, they are actually involved in, um, in some ways uh, um, themselves. Their identities change uh, frequently as they continue to ask questions, and they, of course, have a large group of friends who are from a number of different perspectives, so they're constantly engaging the uh, identities in that way. Uh, for many couples, differences uh, in belief aren't a major issue until they have kids. What are some successful approaches that you've used personally? Uh, 
that we have used personally to uh, engaging the questions, engaging religious yes. questions? Yes. Uh, exposing them in the way that I described. So um, having them go to church, um, having them go to uh, religious education and preschool, but then also allowing them to ask questions and to challenge those ideas on their own. So it was creating a situation in which um, they had information from various sources, and then both mom and dad would freely give our opinions. And when we did, whenever, when my daughter came to me and asked me if uh, Jesus really came alive after he died, that was the way she put it. And I said, well, uh, my opinion is that he didn't, and I explained why I think that. And then I would say, but talk to mom because I know that she believes he did, and then you get to make up your own mind, and you can change your mind as much as you want. Uh, that's the approach. It, there doesn't have to be any additional structure. There doesn't have to be any, you know, we don't have to sit down and give them lectures. We just make them curious about the world, expose them to different points of view, and then let them run. Okay. Throughout In Faith and Doubt, you share the stories of eight actual secular religious couples. And in that, were there any Catholic were there any Catholics that were strong in their belief married to atheists? Uh, yes, there were. Uh, there was a um, there's a Catholic couple um, that actually was one of the most uh, interesting couples. She was strongly Catholic. She was raised Catholic, married to an atheist. Um, over time, she actually changed her belief and became an atheist, and he changed his belief and became a Baptist. So they actually switched uh, in this case. Uh, and that's not to say that either of them had a weak belief, just that as they engaged over the course of their life and encountered different uh, um, life challenges and situations, they both changed. And it ended up being very stressful on the relationship, and they ultimately did divorce. I can, understand. Cases, I can really understand that. Oh, if they both switched, you can see that they were sort of both rejecting. But it's actually more common to have a mixed marriage um, with a Catholic spouse as the religious spouse than any other single denomination. That's actually the most common is Catholic married to an atheist. We had, uh, I had one couple in the survey that had been married 45 years, Catholic man uh, and an atheist woman married for 45 years. Um, so Did they, they were have children? Did they have children? That, I'm not, I don't remember if that couple had children, but we had a large number of Catholic atheist couples in the survey who did have children. And what did they do as far as their children's religion? Well, they, um, in, there are many ways to approach it. Um, one of them is that uh, you know, they have them engage in the church. They have them, in some cases, baptized. They have them go through um, catechism. Uh, they have them do the whole thing and then ultimately say at the end of that process, you can still make up your mind. I've given you this exposure to my... Uh, family culture to my religion and you get to make up your mind that's one approach another approach is people who are Catholic by identity but don't necessarily go through the, uh, the structures and the, and the Catholic education so there are many as you know there there are many ways to be Catholic one quarter of Catholics in the United States according to the Pew study identify as agnostic Catholics so there are uh, and that obviously is going to be a range that uh, would have a lot of overlap with an atheist, with an agnostic and atheist. Let's, let me have the term, the meaning of the term agnostic, please. The meaning of the term agnostic is someone who um, says, I am not certain about my conclusions. So, for example, I am an agnostic atheist. Many people are agnostic Christians. So they say, I strongly believe uh, in my religion, but I am uh, willing to admit that I'm not certain. Uh, that's an agnostic position. So you're agnostic. You're really more of an agnostic than you are an atheist. Am I correct? I'm actually fully both. In the same way that someone can be a Catholic and a Christian, mm -hmm. they emphasize different parts of my worldview. My atheism is my conclusion. My agnosticism is emphasizes the fact that I'm not at a certain point. I'm not at a final point in my, and I never will be. Because until it's not the maybe, sort of thing you can ever know. Maybe the day prior to your death you decide, I want to be Christian. Could you do that? Right. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's actually a common myth and a somewhat offensive one uh, no, because it implies, it implies that, I, no, no, it no, implies no. that someone who is non-religious is 
uh, is somehow denying the uh, reality of death. So the uh, the stories not of deathbed conversions. Not Dale. Not necessarily. If something happens to you, and we'll use this as an example. I'm not talking about somebody that's just all of a sudden it hits them. I'm talking about somebody that has maybe a near-death experience mm -hmm. and sees the light, okay, which I did, by the way, all right, and decides, just like Paul did, decides that they, because you're saying when you say you're an agnostic, right, in a sense, okay, that there may be change in your life, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Always open. So, that. Yeah. if that happened, okay, and, and you did have a near-death experience, and all of a sudden you wanted to actually get close and be, be part of God's belief or whatever, what's wrong with that? Oh, it's entirely possible. It's just also a, it's a common, uh, it's a common story that's used to demean uh, non-religious beliefs. But I don't what, think I, so. what I will, I, I really what don't I will think say, I disagree with you on that. But that's okay. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. I, it, it's perfectly fine. Don't, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, but the um, uh, you familiar with Richard Dawkins? No, I'm not. Uh, the, he's a, an atheist. Uh, uh, probably the best-known atheist in the world, and he also calls himself an agnostic. It's a very common misconception that people think that atheists are claiming to be certain. And atheists are actually as open to, uh, frequently as open to changing their minds as religious people can be. Uh, there are also people on both um, sides of the equation that claim to be certain, and that's, um, that's something different. But one of the things that makes these relationships work that makes these mixed marriages work is when both people are non-dogmatic in their thinking. And non-dogmatic thinking simply means allowing a possibility that I'm wrong. That's what agnosticism is. And so if you have two people approaching one from a religious perspective, one from the non-religious, and they're both saying, this is my strong belief, but I could be wrong, they mm -hmm. tend to be able to work things out between them. It's only well, when one or both. Why, that's the reason why I'm saying to you, okay, because you just said it. If they're more agnostic in their belief, okay, it will work out. That's the reason why I said in the very beginning of when we were talking, it's a lot easier to have that same common belief than to have separate beliefs. I'm really religious, and you are agnostic atheist, and, you know, maybe you're just an atheist instead of being agnostic atheist, okay, that... I would think, personally, after 45 years of marriage, by the way, to another Catholic, we are strong in our belief together, okay? So it's made it easier, and I was married before, all right? But unfortunately, and I got an annulment, okay, because that other person didn't believe in anything, okay? And didn't believe in marriage, actually, okay? So... That made it very difficult for me as a married couple to say that he converted to a certain situation, and he really didn't, okay? But when you marry someone that's in the same frame of mind as you are, then you have a lot easier situation than if you don't. That's what I'm saying. Uh, there are advantages to sharing the same worldview, and because my wife and I currently do share that, it's probably easier. Um, I can. Uh, I'm sorry. What's that? I said it's probably easier for you now. There are some ways in which it's easier, but there are some ways in which it's a greater challenge. And one of the ways is that if we are really dedicated to letting our children make up their own minds on religious questions, uh -huh. it was actually easier when we had the diversity built into the family, because uh -huh. we were able to send the kids to each other to get that other perspective. When we really had the the diversity and the religious literacy built into the family. Now we have to be a little more intentional and make sure that our kids are going outside of the family to gain those other voices. So it's a, there are advantages and there are disadvantages to both. And what this book is intending to do is to uh, recognize that the, it is assumed that the mixed marriages are all disadvantaged. And it's, there are actually ways in which they carry advantages, including that ability, that frequent ability to encounter 
challenges in the marriage and through dyadic consensus to come to agreement on those challenges. Now, my, my, my stepfather, after my dad died, married, my mom married a, a, non, a non-Catholic, mm-hmm. and he went to Mass with her every Sunday. He didn't believe what she believed, mm-hmm. and they had a beautiful marriage, okay? Yeah. But they weren't raising children. They didn't. They were older when they got married, and he was the person that decided to make it easier for her. Okay. Even though, yes, even though he did not, he did not believe and have the same beliefs that she did. Okay. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So, and sometimes uh, older people that get married, and there's lots of that. Um, probably would be easier than having children because I would think um, it's it's hard enough to say one thing and then take them to another spouse and say, well, and then they play, they play it, you know, even in certain areas. So that's another discussion for another time because we've run out of time. Where can people buy your book? Uh, the book is available on Amazon.com, and it will also be in Barnes & Noble on the shelf. All right. And um, how can people get a hold of you? Do you have a website? Uh, absolutely. The gateway website for me is dalemcgowan.com, and that actually has links to all of my various uh, books and uh, organizations. I can't thank you enough for joining me today on Catherine Rager's Let's Just Talk. You've been listening to Let's Just Talk featuring Catherine Rager. Brought to you by Lawrence Allen, Global Executive Search Professional, author of The Tree of Liberty, Apteca Naturel, Bagwell Syllable Bag Holder, Dan Perkins, Registered Investment Advisor, and author of The Brotherhood of the Rit Nile Series, Dr. James Butler, DDS, Gravity First Mattress, iMarketing, Magic Nutrition, Swan Montgomery, top musician, engineer, and performer with solo album Ogham. An Ultimate Air Shuttle on W4CY. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.